Welcome to the Real Estate of Things podcast. I'm your host, Nate Tronfield with Lima One Capital. This time we have a two-time guest, Mr. Daniel Angel from Apex Development Group. I am really excited for him to break down how he transitioned him and his company from a single-family investment-focused business to multifamily investing and all the learning lessons that he's going to share with you about how that went down and how he's being successful as a multifamily operator. Let's get into it with Mr. Daniel himself. You're listening to the Real Estate of Things podcast. Daniel, welcome to the Real Estate of Things. I am so excited to uh, learn all about Apex and everything you all got going on. How is the market treating you today? Nate, uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. And also really excited to share some of our experience and how things are looking. Great question. That was a, a good one to start off. I think market is, as anyone else is experiencing, a little bit choppy, a lot of changes here and there. In our case, just keep grinding, keep underwriting and, and looking for good opportunities. Hey, that's a, it's a tough market. Uh, it's a blanket statement. So let's dive in then. Tell us about then Apex today. What are you doing in relation to even that? Absolutely. So I think since last time we kind of like had the chance to, to be here and kind of like pass through our progress. We're fully transitioned to multifamily, currently working on our team building, which we have been doing in, you know, for the past 18 or so months, making sure we have the different teams in place to continue with our acquisition progress moving forward. Basically, putting together a process where we can build a solid pipeline for value-add opportunities or value-add investing in multifamily. Awesome. So for the listeners that weren't able to catch your original episode, which if you're listening, you have to go back and re-listen, give the little sort of Reader's Digest version of the history of Apex getting to now, you know, fully transition to multifamily. And then I really want to get into that transition specifically. So just give the broad strokes. Yeah, absolutely. And and thanks for that. So basically, it goes back to probably 2016, 17, when we started mainly focused on single family, initially straight flipping. That's where we got the chance to actually meet you guys and fortunately built this great relationship on the lending side to leverage our, our growth managed to put together a couple of private equity funds, did those raises and acquired some single family properties, put together two portfolios that we ended up stabilizing that went all the way to owning 75 single family homes in Metro Atlanta. And that's how like our platform actually started. In 2020, we saw the opportunity after a few internal debates of what our next phases or steps would be and just found multifamily a natural transition and natural process to, to go through. 2020 had our first uh, acquisition, 2021 our second, 2022 our third, kind of like kept going that way up to today where actually we own three multifamily deals and along the way we managed to successfully sell or exit full cycle our single family portfolio couple of weeks back, we sold or full cycled our first, first multifamily. And uh, here we are. That's what we call our full transition. 
That is a transition to say the least. And I'm sure the short amount of time that you take to describe it does not begin to really exemplify the amount of work and effort that it took. So let's break this down a little bit. Let's go a little deep here. So you referenced the internal debates, which I can only imagine is natural as a, a business metamorphosizes. So if I was a fly in the wall of a couple of those high level conversations, like what do those look like? You know, and you don't need to call out the names of what partners say and what, but like give the listener an idea how those conversations go down. Absolutely. And really important. Actually, my business partner and I have been really aligned along the way on strategy and where we're headed and what we're looking for. But I think those debates and those conversations came from specifically finding ourselves in a really interesting position where we had, you know, as I mentioned, two portfolios stabilized, but I guess the time, the process and the effort to get there where we acquired house at a time, no portfolios, no bundles, only one house at a time, really in-depth like screening and underwriting for each one of those. And the fact that we were looking to put together a platform where we could see scale, obviously diversification, but mainly something where we could see growth. We just thought going the single family route where every house is pretty much the same effort over and over again. We were just thinking and trying to look into something where we could find more efficiencies on the operational side, because obviously having 75 houses in a, even if it's in the same metro area, it takes a, some time and some effort to manage, as well as scalability. And I think another important piece of that puzzle was how can we capitalize these deals in a more efficient way, where obviously you better than anyone else and for every listener to understand Multifamily has a lot more efficient debt structures than what we can find on the single family space. Those are mainly our our main topics for those conversations. Sure. It makes sense. And there's a lot of economies of scale. And, you know, I think a lot of listeners, as you look, you know, everybody wants to go big or go home. It's just a matter of, you know, at what point are you ready to do so? Because uh, the bigger the opportunity, yes, maybe the bigger success, but possibly bigger the fall. So I'm interested at the point that you and your partner were, you know, it sounded like aligned the whole way and some healthy conversations to get to probably an ultimate tough decision because you, I know, we know you've been very successful in the single family realm and also translating into multifamily. Was it a hard cut shift or if not, what was the transition like? Yeah, no, that's a great point. And absolutely, that was one of the talking points was, well, you know, clearly you can see and you can feel those pros, but at the same time, it was, well, how fast, how big, and how can we actually successfully execute on that? And our approach was just like, we need to keep doing what we're doing for the, you know, in the short term. And that was at the time. So just to, to your question, there was no clear cut and no like just flipping a switch. It was more like a, a process, definitely. Our approach at that time was like, let's just jot down literally on a board. What is it that we need to acquire a multifamily deal? You know, because there was a lot of things that we had already under our belts or in our pocket, but there was quite a bunch of things that we hadn't, you know, starting with brokers, finding deals, sourcing deals, 
it's not the same route. It's not the same crowd. It's not the same people. So starting off with that, lenders, you know, unfortunately for the, and especially with this kind of market, unfortunately bridge that, or, you know, at that time, Lima One, which has been like our true partner along the way in the single family space, it wasn't going to be a good fit for multifamily. Then equity, different check sizes, different asset class, no track record, and so on. I can just go, it was 20 or 25 items. And our approach was just like, jot them down and let's start, you know, each one of those. That was our approach. Mid-2019, we made that decision. Mid-2020, it took us about 10 to 12 months to strike the first one. August 2020, right, right after the pandemic, we were like scratching our heads, like, should we actually do this? But we had done so much, we ended up doing it. And that was actually our first full cycle, which we sold a few weeks ago. That's awesome, man. And congrats. You know, if we go back in time, there was a, you know, it's the multifamily market's been tough. It's very frothy. There's a lot of demands, not enough supply, you know, a lot of the rest of the real estate investing market, but there was some good pockets and windows there where no one knew what the world was going to do. So you had some opportunities, although still too limited. What was the hardest part of the transition if you were to pick like a more isolated component? Um, huh. There were a bunch, but I think pre-closing, I think the most challenging part was figuring out a proper or, I guess, efficient capital stack. Mm. We hadn't done any multifamily deals. We didn't want to be too aggressive on assumptions for debt. And we ended up going agency with a Fannie Mae facility, which ended up being great. At the time, it was just like lower leverage than what we were used to. It required a you know larger equity size check. So it was like that whole debate of how to put this together. That was challenging, but at the end of the day, you know, it happened. So yeah. Then after the acquisition, everything the, the real the real deal happened. <laughs> You know, it's always interesting, you know, what comes first, the deal or the money? <laughs> and it's sort of both. <laughs> if, you can, if anybody could ideally answer it, and, and I can understand that in, in ties to sort of that being a big challenge. So let me ask the same question, but you specified it to pre-close. So now that you've gone full cycle on your first multifamily asset, what was like the hardest part and or biggest transitioning in the reposition asset management, you know, and all of, of managing that you know, even if you want to look at just that first deal specifically. No, absolutely. And I can speak to this specific deal and then we can broaden up a little bit. And it's something we keep trying to to share with, with our team. At the time, it was just us two. Now we're a larger team. We can talk about that a little bit later. But it's always easier to go back to see what happened. A lot of things you don't realize while you're on it. But basically... You will probably never hit pro forma exactly. And then it can be a cause for craziness. But in our experience, it's just a matter of stay true to your fundamentals, stay true to your concept, stay true to yourself, and just grind, you know? Specifically, we thought this could be general concept. We're always trying to find value add opportunities. So in this case, we were planning on renovating. It was a smaller deal, so 25 units. So planning on renovating 25 units and just do 
them as we had lease termination. So lease termination, tenant goes out, renovate, lease up, you know, simple. Yep. The reality was that for some reason, and I don't know how or who, there was a rumor at the property that we were going to demo the whole thing. So we had a literally stampede of tenants who just fleed the property. Oh, wow. So what we underwrote at maximum 80, 78% trough or uh, occupancy ended up being like 40%. Cash flow, nowhere. And clearly, it just forced us to go super fast on renovation and pretty much have like a whole lease up process. At the time, it was challenging and frustrating, but it was the best thing that could have happened. We just went through it so fast, ended up leasing up, overperforming on rents. And obviously the market helped a little bit, but it was just like making sure we could pivot our original plan, make sure we could execute the program, in this case, the renovation program, and just go for it. I love how you start broad and then give a, a very specific example. And that's sort of exactly what the listener probably will get the most value out of. If you look at the significant single family experience that you had, what was most relatable, most relevant in the times of dealing with, you know, the whether in any part of the, let's call it post-acquisition experience as you transitioned into multifamily? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess that there were a lot of things that we keep from our single family experience. And I, and I think the most has to do with the renovation experience. We had been already exposed to those kind of surprises where, you know, we come from the flipping world, which basically for those who probably don't know or not familiar in any flipping deal, there's a bunch of surprises once you open up the walls. <laughs> so it's pretty much that same thing. It was the first time we had it at scale. So it was pretty much like now we laugh about it. But at the time, it was like, well, we wanted scale. There you have your scale. <laughs> you got to be careful what kind of scale you want, because again, there's scale and opportunity, scale and success, and scale and challenges and potential failure, which obviously you haven't, you didn't find, which you know is a lot to your experience. I got to ask a question I haven't asked anybody in a long while. So specifically in single family flipping, which you know go back into the memory a little bit, which I'm sure it's really hard to get away from, but be honest with the audience here. Cost overrun. If you were to give a percentage of cost overrun on your expected budget, which I know you guys are experts in construction or you know very high caliber at that, be honest. What should somebody expect if they're sort of they've done maybe a couple deals? What would be a safe contingency cost overrun budget percentage wise in the flipping world or like yeah in in, in the renovation world, at least fifteen percent. No less than that. And I could cut the story like pre-COVID and post-COVID being like pre-COVID, you could live with 8 10% post-COVID. And, and the reason I, I, I say COVID, it's not necessarily relative to the pandemic itself. It's just what the pandemic brought, you know, volatility, inflation, and all the things that we're dealing with. And I smile or laugh <laughs> But, it, you know, it, it's a pretty serious thing. Like if you're in, in that business and if you're starting or in the middle of or whatever, like make sure you have that kind of cushion. 
The audience can definitely tell you're an experienced and a very smart man. I can tell you you're also very honest <laughs> because it's, you know, anybody trying to tell any lower numbers is absolutely flat out lying, in my opinion. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily the firsthand expert. <laughs> so, but I've seen a, seen my fair share of deals too. So now appreciate you walking us through that. I got another interesting one for you here, I think. Could you have done multifamily from the get if you had the you know the same sort of resources you had at the time that you started flipping, and if you were to to project like what would what would have happened differently in your multifamily experience as if you didn't have single family experience to the extent that you did at that time? Right. Uh, I think that that's a great question. I, I think you know if could we have done it probably. And, and we keep saying, uh, sometimes we go back and it, not, not that it's good to, you know, kick yourself like that, but we keep saying like, ah, if, if we should have, you know, if we were in multifamily before at the time when the market was and, you know, it keeps shoulda, woulda, coulda. So could it have been? Maybe. Would we have been successful? Probably. But I just feel the, the process and the progress is worth it in our case just starting literally from scratch and now that we're starting to have conversations with institutional investors where there's a lot of like ah there's not enough track record it's like i get it but you know i think the the progression helps the experience in the single family space regardless of it being different helps it has helped us a lot, especially on the renovation side. So I would probably do it again, same same way, probably faster, maybe just because, you know, now we know at the time we were hesitant about going to multifamily as fast and just kind of like staying longer in, in single, but probably just because we know now, but I think it's worth going through the through the process. Again, you're certainly holding up on the honesty end of things because as people listen, whether your experience in single family, your experience in multifamily, your inexperience in all of it, you know, there's a big attraction to multifamily for a lot of all the right reasons. It's, you know, do you have the resources, the capacity, and as you've talked about, the intangible grit just to persevere through it, whether it's individual and team. I wasn't looking for any specific answer, but I, I just think that that's just a really impactful insight that you give there and that, you know, it's hard as real estate investing is very fluid by nature and you need to expect the unexpected, you know, it's hard to go big and go multifamily and deal with scale without having dealt with some of the other maybe more learning processes that you go through. And to your point earlier, you know, the repetitious learning processes by having to get two, you know, portfolios of 75 assets, which is 75 learning experiences and acquiring, repositioning, and then eventually, you know, at the tail end, dispositioning. So I appreciate you there. So sorry, just I just uh, kind of thought of something. It, it has been really helpful for us to have gone through the whole process in, in another way, which I don't know if a lot of people think about, but we have kind of like seen it now that we have it. At some point, if you're if you're trying to scale and if you're actually looking to build a business more than just having a you know side gig, you'll need a team at some point, right? In our case, we were just us two for quite a while, and a few I would say now years ago, we decided to start building a team. If you haven't gone through the whole process and and, and just try to build a team without like tangible and 
actual like expertise, I think it's harder to train, harder to for the team to adopt and to adapt. So I think it that's another reason why it's worth going through the whole process. In our case, just it has been a lot helpful now that we're starting to build a team. Makes sense, especially you know if you believe in um, like vertical integration of your business and the control that that can give you to be a value. I mean, it's it's a significant learning and capital investment to try and do that from scratch, and or it's tough to then try and shoulder it all and outsource almost everything as well in a big scale of multifamily too. So I love that topic here, and I can tell you're you're passionate about leadership in your team. So I want to try and bring us back now to the present. We've been a lot in the past here. So. What's the team look like? You know, what you know, what who does sort of what? What are the departments? Break that down for us. Of course, yeah. So basically, we have like three main pillars, I should say. We still wear uh, multiple hats and whatnot. I mean, that's typical from a smaller company as ours. But we have put together, and, I, and I'll start by what my business partner Daniel Gonzalez uh, does. He leads uh, acquisitions and asset management. So everything that has to do with deal sourcing and that initial underwriting runs through him and his team, as well as what we call asset management or actual asset management. And that connects directly with our third-party property management company that we work with. Second is our construction or projects or operations team. That's led by Manuela Villa. She's also Colombian and she has her team which is broken down into what's project management and what we call, let's say, like logistics and purchases or pre-construction and purchases. And that's how that team is broken down. And then on my side, I do everything that has to do with finance. So my team is broken down like in two sub teams. One is corporate finance. So everything that has to do with treasury and you know money management, pretty much. And the other part of the team's what we call capital markets it has to do with deal structuring and, and stacking, as well as uh, investor relations. That's how the three main pillars are broken down. And then we're geographically located in pretty much like two places. The part of the team is in the United States here in Atlanta, where our main market is. And the rest of the team, like whoever doesn't have to, have to be on site, is in our home city in Colombia, in Medellin. So we have a good part of our team sitting in, in our home country. So two-part question, how many total people and how do you facilitate you know, all that you have to do to look at deals to acquire, to manage, to manage operational and you know, capital markets, treasury items? between two countries. So two-part question there. For that first part of the question, it's total 20, including Daniel and myself. So it's 14 in Colombia and six here. That's how we're broken down. We've gone from two to 20 pretty fast. And it's been an interesting road in terms of how to manage you know, different latitudes but honestly, that's one of the greatest things that COVID or the pandemic brought is just like us realizing there's a lot you can do virtually. So there has been a good chunk of time spent transferring the, you know, with what we call like knowledge transfer with our team and making sure we can build 
processes that work from anywhere. So pretty much like anyone that doesn't have to be on site, so projects or similar, will probably be in Colombia. So we, we've we managed to, to, to do it that way. That's awesome. So there's got to be some sort of entrepreneurial operating system, meeting cadences. I mean, in the virtual world, obviously it doesn't happen just by osmosis. So like, can you just briefly talk and touch down even in a little more detail how you, again, functionally operate between your boots on the ground team and the you know virtual team that is all boots on the ground in Columbia? Yeah, of course. So, you know, there's no like specific software or anything that we're that we're using. We do use Trello or, you know, Slack for communication. We have a hybrid system in Colombia. So we do have an office there and they as a team get together twice a week. That helps a lot for team building and culture building and whatnot. And we've had you know, back and forth traveling from the team just to meet the folks and the properties here. There's a lot of WhatsApp going on within the team. I know it's not a big thing in America, but it's just, you know, texting back and forth. A lot of Teams meetings and, and virtual meetings like what we're doing right now. And we've just focused on making sure we we have the right, you know, the right people proper engagement and a lot of knowledge transfer. That's it's awesome. I mean, look at in this newfound virtual world, you know, at the end of the day we're in the people business and so we got to emulate being people whether virtual or in person and a lot of ways to skin that cat, but uh everything you're going through is, is you know, I can pick up on it so I know listeners can too. I would call it I don't know the right word may might not be this, but very sophisticated. Just the way that you very systematically break down the three pillars of your company. You talk about different realms of building culture, which implies, you know, leadership. So can you just from a very summary perspective, like what's your background? Yeah. And I think that's part of it. I mean, both in my case and, and Daniel Gonzalez's case, I mean, I come from the corporate world and I graduated from school, which I, I went to school here in Atlanta, but I went back to Colombia and I had the opportunity to work for a couple of large Colombian companies and got into the real estate world in other asset classes with larger funds. But I think that that experience, that was almost like 10 years. Uh, then I got back to Atlanta, coincidentally back to Atlanta to work for a cement and ready mix company corporate in Colombia, but they had you know a subsidiary here in, in the States. And later had the opportunity to work with Portland Partners, which is a large multifamily operator here in the United States. So if you see all that, kind of like that gave us like the baseline for what a large company and large group of people should look like. And I think that's been one of our common ground kind of like rule as what we want and where we want to be. Obviously, we've paid our dues as we go and, and just make sure like we're taking a step at a time and just putting every single building block at a time. But that's what we envision. And that's what we're for just making sure it's not just us two. There's there's a lot of people involved, not only our direct team, but our you know subcontractors and a lot of people that have believed in us, starting with you guys on the lending side. You guys wrote the largest checks since we started and, and similarly happens in the multifamily space. Same thing with our equity partners and investors and everyone that at 
every single step of, of that way has believed in us, in our passion for what we do and our passion for our team and for our people. That's been kind of like the, the road. It's, it's awesome, man. I mean, I know we, sh- we shared a little bit. I knew a little bit of that, but, you know, as, as you've really embodied throughout old conversations and the ways that you and your partner and your team run the business, it's, you can tell that you have a lot of experience in call it, as you said, corporate world. And that's why, you know, it's just easy to pick up on the sophistication. So, you know, I, again, we've been fortunate at Lima One Capital and myself to see the proven success and execution that you've delivered. And it's just really awesome just to, to further break down in here and understand that it, you know, it doesn't come together at once. It's over a lot of time and learning lessons. And it's not even the, the lessons that you learn specifically in United States-based real estate investing and single family, multifamily. It's everything. You bring it all, your life experiences into what you make of your company, whether that is corporate, non-corporate. But, you know, it sounds like you're certainly building for some great vision and, and goals in the future. I want to have you hit last topic here. The pillar of the company that, that you run, I, I would love to call it the money center, the money department. You've referenced raising capital. So what's been a like transition in capital raising over time to where you're at now? And, and look for what's that look like in the future? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really uh, important question, important topic, especially right now. But I guess like our transition, we started off with our own equity later started transitioning more into like the friends and family space. I think that's pretty natural to companies like ours where you start finding, you know, your closest people who trust what you're doing and and can see easier the, I guess, like track record that you start building. We've had a really good opportunity to have a couple of family offices follow us along the way and continue to invest in our recent projects. As we go, as we keep tweaking our buy box and what we feel is like our next steps and get more like into that middle market and more institutional road, we're having another transition more into the institutional world, which we can break down into smaller institutions, family offices, multifamily offices, or more like the institutional asset management companies locally or abroad that uh, look for operators or sponsors like us to deploy or structure a programmatic uh, investment approach. What's been, whether it's known now or what are you forecasting is sort of, as we talked a lot about transition, the transition in, you know, capital and investor relations from the sort of small mom and pop investors to institutional, what, what's that transition? What's the difference is probably even a, a better question. Yeah, definitely. The whole reason why we've set up a investor relations department has to do a lot with that. I mean, originally it was pretty much a, you know, follow-ups with quick text to our friends, like, Hey, here's how things are going. Check this picture out. This is what we're doing. And later on, just, getting obviously into more sophisticated ways of reporting or giving feedback and letting our, what we call community know where we stand and how our projects are doing and slowly but surely getting into more uh, sophisticated ways. We're probably now looking into a software that can support our investor relations. And similarly, in each one of the departments, just making sure we can keep up with the kind of counterparties or stakeholders that we're reaching out to. 
it, it makes sense. And uh, it's been cool here uh, as we look to close out just to hear the number of transitions. But anybody that's in real estate or wanting to be in real estate investing, I mean, that's just the name of the game. And I think you've just done a, an awesome job exemplifying it. Just a broad question. Take this wherever you want. What's uh, I've learned a lot, and I know the listeners have too, but if you were just going to impart one last piece of wisdom on anything that comes to mind here, what would you want to leave the audience with? Uh, now, I would say like, d- depending on like the different audience that we have, if, if there's anyone that is either starting in the middle of or wherever within the real estate world and investment world, I would just say, uh, you know, keep keep grinding, never, never, never shoot low or short, just shoot long and, and just go for it. Uh, in our case, it's just understand that there's a lot of pivoting. There will never be a single plan and exact execution. There will always be challenges, differences, deviations, <laughs> you know, variances, however you want to call it along the way. And that's a wrap. Thanks so much to Daniel Angel from Apex Development Group. This was awesome to have him for a second time. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite platform. Check us out every Tuesday for new episodes to drop. And you can always check all things on the Real Estate of Things on our website, www.realestateofthings.co. We will catch you next time. Are you a real estate investor looking for the right lender that can finance all your deals and help you scale? Lima One Capital has the best suite of loan products in the industry, bar none. Whether that's fix and flips, fix and holds, building new construction, or buying rental properties, they have incredible financing solutions for it all. A reliable, common-sense lender is one of the most important parts of your investment team, and that's exactly what you get with Lima One. Let Lima One Capital show you how they've helped thousands of real estate investors scale and increase their wealth. Check out LimaOne.com or call 800-259-0595 to speak with a consultant in preparation for your next project. Thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate of Things podcast. Subscribe and tune in weekly for new content from the industry's best while we continue to unpack the nuances of this dynamic market. Follow us across social media for additional insights and analysis on the topics covered in each episode. And remember to rate, review, and share the show.